never present the deal to a lender if it's not a real deal. If you don't have you don't have the assignment contract or you don't have the sales contract, don't bring it to me. I don't got the time to talk to you, brother. And the gentleman has a has a Mexican restaurant on there. It's been in his family for 50 years and we're going through regentrification in that area. By refinancing it, he was able to hold on to it for three more months. As he held on for it three more months, the local hospital bought the property for three times the value. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. Today we are with Memo Acosta, a man of many skills, too many to list here. So we're just going to jump right into it as we normally do. We'll kick it off with a crazy story and then we'll get deep into the details of the many things Mr. Memo here is doing. Memo, could you kick us off with your craziest real estate story or transaction that you've had thus far? Craziest real estate story. I've got a lot of interesting stories. I got a lot of, we just had a property that uh, we refinanced for a group. Um, and the gentleman has a, has a Mexican restaurant on there. It's been in his family for 50 years and we're going through regentrification in that area. By refinancing it, he was able to hold on to it for three more months. As he held on for it three more months, the local hospital bought the property for three times the value. What? And then stuff like that makes me happy. Just makes me happy. So we lent him $550,000. Well, not three times the value. I guess twice the value. And the hospital bought it for $1.2. That's 1 incredible. Yeah, yeah. And and it's, you know, and it was in a bad location, but it, it's it's right alongside the hospital and everything from there. And I'm just happy because, you know, I've known the guy for years. I'm trying not to mention his name because I love him to death. Uh, and it's a famous Mexican restaurant down there. But it's in a horrible, horrible location. And because of him being able to get that extra $550,000 from there, he's going to be able to move somewhere else. I mean, wow. that's that's just cool. That's just cool. That's, that's just cool. It, that's an incredible thing. It sounds like from the undertones of what you're saying, business was in a tough spot. But now all of a sudden he gets bailed out, gets a ton of cash to be able to go to a better location. Where I mean, restaurants are such a location business. Like just the location itself yeah. is Great usually time. a predictor yes, of success. Yes, very much so. Cool. So, so let's dive. In fact, we we and we just bought a restaurant uh, two weeks ago. Yeah, tell that story. And we bought. Well, um, I, I've been in. Uh, I started off in pharmaceuticals. Um, made you know, made my name down there. Became a regional manager. Uh, came back so I could sp so I could spend time with my son. My son, so proud of my boy Carlos Acosta at Texas Tech down there. This is his first year down there. So I came back so I could spend time with him. I, I created a, uh, a a pediatric consulting business consulting firm, one of the biggest flops of businesses I've ever made in my life. So then I started building clinics, um, and then we would uh, and then started running clinics from there. And then uh, then the market got hit uh, a little bit hard. And uh, and uh, even though you're mad at me, Booty Gilbert Maluli, one of the greatest real estate developers in the Southwest, took me under his wing and taught me hard money. And, uh, next thing I know, I'm starting to work on deals. Um, I've never been, you know what, you know, this man loves you when he yells at you. <laughs> so if he's polite to you, you're just the customer. If he yells at you, you're family and stuff. So he taught, he taught me hard money. And, uh, then I went from hard money because then I started seeing people flipping and I said, you know, someone owed me a hundred thousand dollars. I'm trying to give you a real quick, quick deal. Owed me a hundred dollars, a hundred thousand dollars. And he defaulted. So next thing I know, I'm, uh, I'm flipping a house. Uh, arrogantly, uh, I'm like, well, this is going to be a piece of cake. I do $16 million medical clinics. I do, you know, I'm building here and I'm building there. Oh, no, flipping a house is a different world, different world. Uh, I think we only made $10,000 on that deal. But it taught me a lot. And then we started flipping. And this was in the days where you could, um, and, and I'm just going to be honest, yeah, we were, we were tied. I think I was only making like, you know, 68, 75,000, you know, and had all these bills to pay and everything. But these were the days where you could get loans with no money down and just build out everything, you know, flip that $10,000 here, there, flip in there. Uh, since the pandemic, that's really not happening anymore. I mean, you got to have some money in your pocket to, to do some things. So that started flipping from there. 
And then I started learning how to do appraisals. Then I started, you know, the combination of the lending and then uh, the construction of the build outs and everything taught me quite a bit. So I sort of, uh, you know, went from there and, you know, had my business for, you know, six years, about two years ago, I met uh, Albert Medina. Um, and he's an incredible guy, proud to call him my best friend now too. That's how close we've gotten through, you know, through the years. Uh, we've gone through absolute adventures together, but he, uh, <laughs> he, um, he actually, and I'm proud to say this about him, is a self-made man. He used to run the Levi's group down here in, in Mexico, then opened up Tropical Snows, and then had an opportunity to go ahead and, and open a corrugated box factory. The economy in El Paso is reflective of Mexico and El Paso very much so. So as he opened up this corrugated box factory, uh, he became so successful. Um, I don't know if you know this, but a big part of Mexico's economy is the twin plant industry or the maquila industry. So they assemble things down there. So 90% of the people that are using boxes to put stuff in, crates to put stuff in, or pallets to put stuff in are buying from my, are buying from, uh, from uh, Beto, uh, from auto uh, packaging, ARO packaging down there. Well, at that point, he was so flush with cash. And I don't mean this to be, to be, uh, you know, like as we're boasting, this is before I met him. He started, he started, said, well, let's start, let's start doing hard money lending. One of my biggest clients calls me and tells me and fires me. And, and I, I love this guy. Um, and he says, look, I love you like a son, but I can't beat us. You can't beat a 6% rate. Uh, for instance, 6% rate at that time, everything was around eight or nine. Right now we're at around 12% because of prime. So he told, he told me that he told me that and I was like, who in the world is doing the 6% rates? I cannot believe that. So I tracked him and I tracked him down. And then I found out his company was in disarray. He was losing money. He did. And he just didn't realize it because he had never run a, a hard money group before. So the next thing I know, I said, I said, well, then if you're going to do 6%, I'll do it with you. He says, we never agreed to 6%. It turns out that one of his brokers had um, overpromised and underdelivered. So and at that point, we started working together. And what came out great is, you know, by the grace of God, everything I had learned over those eight years uh, turned me into the perfect partner for him and being able for us to move pretty quickly. We can lend, you know, millions of dollars in 10 days, you know, if need be you know, and moving and to go across from there. Then with the, and, and then uh, Gilbert Maluti, who we, who we love and we refer to him as Booty Maluti, uh, taught me the commercial side. Um, then I, then I learned the residential side and it was just a combination of everything coming together. But then I, then where I think our biggest resource was, we were, we started helping a lot of people who are brand new flippers uh, that were getting into the game. We, we got into this arena where, Everyone was, and this is over, I think the last seven years, was watching TLC and all these TV shows from there and thinking that it's easy. We can do it or, you know, we can do it from here. Oh, it's a, and it's, it's absolutely not like that. It's absolutely like not like that at all. The situation that we have from there is we would now start teaching people how to do stuff and start, start moving how to move everything from there. Uh, and, and as we were teaching people how to move everything from there, uh, we would tell them, hey, this is not a good loan or the foundation's a mess. You do realize that the roof is going to be a problem. Do you have insurance on the house to, to you know, accommodate the roof, the roof situation? Um, or, hey, you know, you know, what's, you know, or we would say, and I love how you said this just a, just a few moments ago off, off the camera. Every quarter you get that one big deal where you can pull in that quick fifty or $100,000. You know, mm -hmm. but you can't be swinging for the fences all the time. You, you got to do these deals where you're making a quick 30, 40, quick 30, 40, quick 30, 40. Um, and right now we're, we're really invested into the lending side of the business. So we'd really try to help people make their money from there, which allows us to do a lot more because flipping is very, very tough. Um, I mean, you got to stay on top of your contractors. You got to stay on top of uh, getting your equipment. And the pandemic really threw everything upside down. Um Absolutely. I have a loan that Can we I, did for... I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm pausing you here. Because no, no, absolutely. You said something um, right at the beginning. I think I'd really like to tap into a little bit. Um, you said, um, by the grace of God, the skill sets that you had already developed made you the perfect partner for this operation. And I really feel like that's 
an important statement. So I would like to dive a little bit deeper into that, if you don't mind. Um, like sure, what skill sure. sets directly transferred over and why were they such a great transfer? So before, when usually when you have a lender and you're a broker, you're asking, and this is our company, we lend our money. Um, I'm, I'm Bethel's partner and we make our decisions together and, and do everything from him. And he, um, he's awesome. He's awesome. But, I'm the one that uh, I'm the one that knows. Okay, this is going to cost this much in construction. This is going to cost this much for uh, you know painting. This is going to do it from there. But I learned that because I had flipped a bunch of houses. I flipped I flipped over sixteen houses. Okay. But I also had to go through that that resonance of dealing with appraisers, dealing with you know with lending partners, dealing with people going out, seeing what they see and what they see and don't see from there. Uh, but I also was on the other side of it is too is I was doing the end game of selling too. And that's a big thing when you're dealing with VA uh, inspections, you're dealing with, uh, you know, certain bank inspections and, and you're trying to deal it for, you know, they're going to expect this, they're going to need this and so on. You know, it's a 60 day process. You know, try to knock everything out as, as you're trying to get everything moving from there. Beto, Beto and his group had never, ever been down that road before. Um, so, so it made us good. And I had a, I had a great group of people that we were working with down here, you know, like Bobby Maluli and, you know, Steve and everyone from down there. That's another Maluli, uh, who were doing hard money for years and years and years. And they taught me too, you know, uh, Ray taught me too. And, and, uh, George Tabali taught me too. And, and, and everyone, I'm trying to give everyone credit that's credits due, uh, down here. here yeah. <laughs> they showed me a little bit of everything from there because there's also, you have to take a look at where the house is located. We just Let me lost pause that. you for Here's a second. I, I don't mean sure. to interrupt you again, but no, you're dropping a lot of names. I think they're amazing mentors that you've had, and, and that's awesome, and they're partners too. But I'm going to put you on the spot yes. a little bit. Sure. Wh which, which mentor do you think impacted your career the most out of these people? By far. And you're mad at me right now, Booty. Gilbert Maluli. Uh, yeah. Gilbert Maluli, uh, absolutely. I met him when I was 17, uh, going to college. I was a I was a bartender and a waiter at a, at a very fancy Italian restaurant that they that him and his family uh, all all used to go to. By the way, and God bless his dad who just passed away. His dad made sure that him and his three and his two other brothers worked their butts off, and they learned the real estate mm -hmm. industry inside and out. Well, when I was 17, they sort of always took me under their wing, and then they followed my career. I mean, even helped me with school and. Uh, here's a funny story. They used to always tip me like $500 and this was a lot, a lot, a lot of money, uh, every week on Wednesdays, just because when we would go play poker, they would just take it right back from me Wednesday night. So they were just, <laughs> they were just good. They were just great people, but, um, they taught me everything. I ended up leasing property for them from the pediatric side. So we kept on going from there. And I actually reached out to booty at, at a point when the, when the P we were running out of of clinics to build and money was getting tight. And I said, I need something else to do. Can you help me? And he said, and he told me, have you ever heard of hard money? And, you know, he sort of got me going from there. And um, so, awesome. I, I mean, I really, really appreciate him from the bottom of my heart. Well, what I would love to ask you is you mentioned, um, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but you said, you know, this guy loves you and he treats you like family when you, when he's yelling at you. I'd like to know a little <laughs> bit more about that. Well, here's and this is very valuable for your listeners. Never present the deal to a lender if it's not a real deal. If you don't have you don't have the assignment contract or you don't have the sales contract, don't bring it to me. I don't got the time to talk to you, brother. I'm I'm, I'm seriously don't give me don't give me. Uh, I could have been deals. I I don't. I get invited to lunch probably three times a week, and I don't go because I don't have the time to sit down with people if they're not real people. If they don't have the money to put into the investment, I just don't have the time. You know, I don't want to chit chat with you and say, you know, oh, I've got this great idea or my uncle's thinking about investing. I, that's great. Let me know when he's to the table and I'll help you. I'll, I'll help you. But just you just don't want to end up doing that. I remember. And the reason I say that is I, I've known him. They know my family. They know everyone. They know everyone about me. Um, you know, they they know my my son grew up in their in their in their offices and everything from there. But 
I knew he loved me the first day that I brought a deal to him that wasn't up to the standards. And he, and he told me to go get the F out of my office. He just looked at me. He says, you're, you're, come on, you're smarter than that. Don't bring up a deal like that. You know? Uh, and yeah, you know, I, I just, I love him to death. I love him to death. So he's a, he's a good man. So tell me more about that. So, you know, a lot of times when people work for someone that would say something like that, you know, sometimes abrasive, they take it as this guy doesn't care. They, they dig it the opposite way. This guy doesn't have time for me. What allowed you to see it differently than, than maybe most would see it? Well, keep in mind, I'm 53 now. And I started off with him when I was uh, uh, 17, seeing different businesses. And he saw me ran different businesses. And, and so he's, you know, and he sort of saw me, you know, develop everything from there. Um, I, I would see, and I had been around with him in many, many meetings, and I'd see how he he treats everyone. He makes everyone feel special in the room. He lights up a room when he walks into a room, and everyone loves being around him and stuff, and and everything. But he he says what everyone wants, you know. He says the right things, um, but he's he's very, I just happy, on there. When he turns off the booty personality, um, that's when you get to know that he's you know, he's really your family and he's really doing everything that you, that you need to do from there. Um, that's when he knows, you know, and that's when I would see him, you know, yell at his brother, yell at his son, yell at his assistant. Yell at his he's not yelling him to be mean. He's like, Hey, I love you. Do better, do better, do better. I expect better out of you. Don't, you know, don't waste my time. Cause you're wasting my time. You're wasting your time. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I sort of saw that. So the first time, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know how many times I would hear, I know more about real estate on this, on this thumb than you will ever know your whole life, you know, type of stuff. So <laughs> it was just, uh, it was just, it was just on there. So, um, and he's not, he's, he's about 10 years older than, uh, about 10 years older than me, but I just love him and his family. So you have so many things that you've done that we could talk about from lending to construction to, to real estate, et cetera. Most of the people that are listening to this episode, these podcasts are people that are agents turning investors or newer investors. So obviously you talk about getting a file ready, like don't come to you unless it's the files ready. What are the key things that you see that people need to be doing, you know, to get that kickstart, um, to have a successful launch? First off, you have to find the right price that you're purchasing the property at, um, the right deal. I, I smirk, uh, I smirk a little bit um, because there's a lot of people out there that act like they know what they're doing and they don't. Um, there was a gentleman out here putting out ads and, and down here, and I just don't like people being taken advantage of. Uh, I, I see all these wholesale classes and they're charging like $3,000, $4,000, but teach them common sense. Uh, you know, they teach them that you got to go knock on doors. You got to go hustle. Then I see people that are putting out wholesale deals right now that the margins aren't there. Okay, so the wholesaler is going to make his money, but you got to make sure that I'm an incredible negotiator because I, I believe everyone, it has to be a win-win situation. Um, but if the other person's going to be working for three months and make $5,000 or lose money, that's not a good idea. Don't tell this guy he's going to be making good money on a rental because you're, you're, you're dealing with hard money you, and then you're going to have to extremely buy this lower. So guys, the first thing that you need to do when you're purchasing a house is don't be bashful to walk away from the deal. Look at the numbers of the deal. Look at you're going in there. If you, if you, someone the other day brought me a house that was going at market value of 250,000 um, and needed repair work. And they were so proud because they were picking it up at 230. Well, shoot. You're not going to make any money. <laughs> Your closing costs well, are going to eat you up a lot right there. What's the ARV on that one? After repairs. The ARV, yeah, the after the, the ARV was two hundred fifty thousand. So they're going to lose money. They're, yeah, they're going to lose money after paying the. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're going to make. It, where are they going to make money there? Are they going to hold on to it or? <clears throat> well, and then this is something too that a lot of people don't understand, and 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 in most of the states that are out there right now. You can you cannot lend money on a homestead if you're doing private money, and and I don't know if a lot of people know this as well too. So if someone's coming up to you and they want to borrow money from you, um, or they're flipping a house for them to live it in, they cannot get private money. 
the let if the lender's lending you at that, that point, he's not a very a very valued lender at that at that point because if they declare bankruptcy, they lose the lien. They keep the house without having to pay, and therefore you just lost it. You just lost your your lien. Um, so that's one thing right there. Going back to the there, there's a wholesalers are are a dangerous or dangerous bunch. You, you've got to be able to trust your wholesaler and, and do it from there. There's a lot of good people. I work with a, a core people that I I love to death. Uh, but then I've also seen some real part of my French scumbags. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a house uh, about two years ago, and it, it's uh, it's the middle of town. It's being regentrified and everything. The wholesaler was out of was out of uh, Dallas, and he wanted a fifty thousand uh, dollar return on investment on his wholesale. So he added fifty thousand dollars to the value of the house. The house was in shambles, needed a ton of money and do everything from there. Then he made the cardinal mistake too. If you're wholesaling, never ever let it let the lender or the thing. You need to be there when they're showing the house. You know? So immediately the the owner tells me what, what she's getting paid. She's getting paid sixty thousand dollars on this deal. The house is gonna need close to about eighty thousand dollars in repairs. And he wants to sell it for he wants to sell it for he wants to sell it for ninety and just do it from there. And I said, "Look, man, that's just not right to the seller. That's not you know that's not right to the to the buyer and everything from there." I said, "I'm not going to cut you out of the deal. Uh, I'll make you a quick fifteen thousand on here. You're sitting at your you're sitting at your place down in Dallas, uh, not doing anything." And he was brand new to the game too. Um, he just thought that that was the way it was from there. And we, I have a good buyers list mm-hmm. because I take care of my guys. I, I don't necessarily, I said, look, if you want to do the loan, I'll do the loan, but it's a bad loan. It's a bad loan all around. Gotcha. All right, cool. Um, well, thank you for all that insight. Your or memo would be the preferred way to say it, right? I would love to talk about your passion. So like pre-show, we were talking about how much you love giving back <laughs> and impacting other people's lives, because ultimately that will impact your life. And you mentioned that your father kind of... Um, drilled that into you from a young age so i would love to talk to you about that like could we get into the details of how your father taught you that and more importantly after that if we could get into the details of how you've implied that into your life and and made it into a benefit well i guess to start off with i want to give credit to my mom Uh, i was raised by a single mom she put us through private school uh you know getting my sister graduated from notre dame uh, she put up with enough of me till I finally finished my BA and got everything from there. And uh, but she worked two jobs to get us from there. Uh, my parents are divorced, but I also saw my I saw my dad through the years. My dad my dad was a hustler, just a hustler. Um, had giant giant ties into the Democratic Party down here in El Paso, which is ninety percent Democrat. So he worked with people and he worked with people. And I realized, and I guess I I learned at an early age, true power comes by helping people uh, because then people want people want to be helping you um, so as he was as he was doing everything that he was doing down there um, you know I saw him build projects or lower income housing saw him build apartments I saw him build you know everything from there um, I saw him develop all this stuff and everything um, and, and we had a, a, a big it was an, a big influence to me as a kid. And then I made my, I started, you know, and then I didn't see him for a good 11 years. And, you know, uh, as I said, I've been blessed to have a lot of businesses, uh, you know, and not every business is going to be successful. Um, not, not everyone's going to be successful. Hold the ones on that are successful. Let me pause sure. you there because this is where it gets fun, right? Because usually on these shows, sure. everybody talks about how great and how <laughs> awesome they are, right? Which is fun. And we love to pump people up, but. We also want our listeners to know that failure is part of the journey, man. And failure, Absolutely. It, it, it is, it is not, um, it's not a bad thing. It is a stepping stone, right? So yes. on the river of success, every failure is just a stepping stone and you keep stepping over and then you got a bridge eventually. So I'd actually love to dive into some of the, the mistakes you made in business. Cause obviously you've made a ton of successes. I mean, we're talking already about four or five different businesses that are crushing it. Let's talk about the ones that didn't do so well. Sure. You know, I'm a, uh, I, I, I had a hard time learning how to read. So my mom 
got me into Batman comic books to teach me how to read. So my first business when I think I was 19, well, actually before that, I used to sell uh, PCs door to door with a gentleman, which was a great learning experience. Uh, if you ever want to learn how to sell, get into the service industry, uh, become a waiter or bartender. It teaches you how to communicate with people very, and, and read people's uh, you know body language and such from there too. But my first business I bought, and I bought it bad numbers, uh, but I was still making good money for the first year. Uh, I used to own a, a sports card shop, and oh, cool. uh, and I had them all over the malls. Um, so we were doing that, you know, doing that, and it, it was it was during the '90s, it was during the Cowboys era, and uh, I sold a lot of Emmett Smith, Troy Aikman cards, everything from there. My biggest and uh, but my biggest amount of business came over from uh, from Mexico, from Juarez. Well. Back in the 90s, there was a huge peso devaluation. When that hit, it crushed me. And I was oh. too arrogant to shut Yeah, yeah, it crushed me. Uh, they were probably 80% of my business, and I lost all that business. Um, they, they stopped coming over to the malls. They started coming in from there. So I lost about $70,000, um, which, you know, you know and, and now, um, you know, 70000 is still a lot of money. But... Mm -hmm. But it, it crushed me. Lost my house, lost my lost my car, lost lost everything from that point. And uh, but right after that, I, I lost that, and, and I saw that I opened up other businesses. I opened up specialty uh, delivery services for blood for special documents. We used to do all the UBS United Blood Services stuff on there. And and but I, I went and guys, I'm going to tell you this too. I went through a huge depression. I thought I was a failure. You know, um, my father picked me up by my neck and slapped me and said, you know, stop feeling sorry for yourself. <laughs> and that sort of got me going the next the next day. I built that trucking company with forty dollars nice. um, and, and built that for, built there. And that was open for a good seven years and did that. And then I started doing other stuff. I've, I've always believed, you know, you have other different types of companies that you that you work with from there. So um, did that uh, ended up. Um, working in the telecom industry and I saw how much money was being made down there. And I mean, guys, I want you to embrace what I'm going to say next. So I had a bunch of cell phone stores, but I saw the market turning, saw the market turning. I sold all the cell phone stores for a $10,000 loss. Best $10,000 loss I ever made in my life. Best on there because I saw the market crash and I got out before the crash. I was going to say, how bad so would it have been if you kept them? Oh, I would have lost everything. I, I, Probably, probably at least uh, three hundred, four hundred thousand. Getting stuck with the leases and everything. Yeah, uh, uh, ten thousand dollar loss doesn't sound too bad then. And it's also, yeah, I mean, oh, you already, no, no, you already no, went no, through no, losing no. the seventy k and, and and having to start over. Essentially, I'm actually interested in that story. So, I mean, it almost found, it sounds almost like rock bottom. And and you know, there's actually a lot of yes, people. Yes, it, it was. I, yeah. I was living in a studio with that might belong to my dad at that point. And, you know, he was gracious enough, even though we hadn't spoken in years, you know, that's just the father's love. Uh, and, and he, and he took me in, you know, no matter how many bad things I had said, said about him throughout the years. And yeah, such. That's but funny. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, but now he took me in, he gave me a, a little apartment to stay in and even gave me a car. I hated that truck. It was like $5 to the nearest Seven Eleven and gas, you know, so it was, it was just on there, but yeah, I, I built it. I built a, uh, right after that I had, seen on an episode of uh, Oprah where, and, and I'd love, because I have similar stories like this. I saw an, an episode of Oprah where she, she was talking about people that are doing new businesses and they were getting personal couriers to go pick up their dry cleaning, to go pick up, you know, whatever medicines they need and do everything from there. So I based the business on that. Huge failure. El Paso's, El Paso's market base is just, just doesn't have the money for that. Um, by accident, I ran into an executive from United Blood Services, and they needed deliveries of their blood all over the city, and it was mm -hmm. cheaper for me to do it and keep it under insurance. Then where we really made really, really good money is when then we started delivering, whenever there was an accident within a 300-mile radius, my group would go ahead and deliver the blood. But we would deliver the blood at four times the fee because it was considered a hot shot. On there because we it, it could be any time of the day, any time of the night. We're we're picking it up and we're and we're living out there. So we did that for a good seven years. Uh, they changed they changed uh, and it, it was very profitable for us and did, did good. We also picked up uh, and I started realizing at that point um, 
and I have another company right now that's in a very similar transition. Um, doing these mom and pop accounts wasn't worth it to us. Uh, we wanted to pick up corporate accounts. So we picked up city accounts. We picked up the housing authority and we would deliver their documents for them. So we just moved from there. And then I developed a, a business plan that allowed us to pay our drivers using their own vehicles and then moving from there. So it was, it was a lot of learning experience, a lot of learning experience from there. But yeah, I mean, we built it up from that. Uh, and that, that's one story of a, you know, a failure. And then just don't give up. Find a way. I had to reinvent myself. I think you you said that to yeah. me, and I had to reinvent myself. Yeah, that was actually where I was going next. Because I mean, I love the I love the the big failures. Because I mean, I think a lot of people do. Um, actually, a lot of the entrepreneurs that we interview on this show, they have a moment like that, and ultimately, it becomes an epiphany, right? Because you could either become a victim of that failure, or you could learn from it, improve, move on, and try again. And obviously, most of the people we interview on this show. They learned from it, and they improved, and they tried again. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people don't take that route. You know, you mentioned a, a brief history of depression in that area or in that era of your life, rather. And it's like a lot of people might succumb to that, whereas you were able to overcome it. So I, I would love to dig into how you were able to overcome it, like from a mental perspective. Well, and you know, I'll bring I'll bring this. Uh, this is this is a, this is a great this is a great story right here. Um, I'm blessed with my partner and, and, and we're making good money and, you know, we go up and down, but we're on the, we're about to make the real, real, real big money, but making the real, real big money. Isn't about buying a Ferrari. It's not buying, you know, it's about taking your kids to school. I mean, getting them to mm -hmm. college, you know, making sure they have a good education, you know, it's about doing the right things. But what I would really want to do when we, when, and we're, and we're close because we've got so many projects going right now that, that we're going to be there. I really want to to create some sort of type of depression center to help people because so many people suffer from depression, but they're afraid to talk about it and, and try to deal with it. And, and I guess I shouldn't be saying this on a national podcast, but when I was 30, I was diagnosed with depression and ADHD. And this is when I was in pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Wow, I went through all these different medications and I was trying, you know, these different things and uh, none of the medications, I would have either two bad side effects or, or, or they didn't work till finally my, my physician gives me Prozac mm -hmm. and it changed my life. It changed my life. I didn't realize that I was so ADD that I was thinking of five or six things at once. Mm -hmm. The Prozac got me to fix down to two. Next thing I know, I became rep of the year. Uh, next thing I know, I was out. I was out selling freaking districts, you know, by myself because I because everything fits, and we were able to analyze that depression and take care of it and just move it from there. And man, it, it just on to this day, I still take I still take Prozac. Um, Let me pause you for a just, second because I could I could relate to your stories quite strongly actually. Um, so I have ADD as well. I'm also bipolar, mm -hmm. so I am extremely, extremely, <laughs> extremely um well versed in the depressive episodes as well as elevated episodes. Um, so I'm just I'm pumped that you were able to find um a treatment protocol that worked for you because oftentimes people don't number one they don't seek help, number two, the ones that do seek help they often it takes a long time to find the right one, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And when you find the right one, it's, it works out pretty well. So, I mean, I'm just really excited for you that you did find it. And, and I just wanted to let you continue your story from there. I didn't mean to interrupt, but oh, I, mean, no, I just I, wanted you to, like, I could totally relate. I know where you're coming from. Yeah, my life changed. It was all of a sudden like, a, you know, I was focused and, and I could get everything going from there. And, um, and I've tried, tried to get off of it thinking I don't need it anymore. No, you know, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, Tom Cruise was one of my favorite movie stars till he made that comment that depression is not a real uh, disorder. Oh. I'm like, come on, dude. You know, really? That's 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 so slapping the face of millions of people out there. Because depression yeah. doesn't just come when you when you have a hard time. There's there's also that chemical imbalance that, you know, maybe people that are drinking too much or may, or just people that just have that on there and they wake up the next morning and they're just depressed. You know, but they've got the best of everything. Their kids are healthy. Their, you know, bills are paid, everything from there. But it, that's what we have to combat. Yeah. yeah let me jump you in know? there. 
You know, I mean, I'm definitely strongly opposed to that comment as well. Depression is a scientific fact. Like if you look at MRI scans, brainwave activity is lower in a mm-hmm. depressed person mm-hmm. than it is in a normal person. So, I mean, you can't really deny the existence of depression. Um, there's actually a meme that I saw the other day that I thought was hilarious because it was, um, um, let, let's, let me try to sum it up real quick. So it's like, oh, so you want me to just fix my mental health order and just snap out of it, right? It's like, okay, right. why don't you go tell a deaf person to hear? Um, because that's basically what it is, right? I mean, it's not that simple. <laughs> Do you get yeah, the analogy, yeah. right? I, I could tell a deaf person to hear. He's not going to be able to hear. It's the same thing when you tell somebody that has mental health uh-huh. problems to snap out of it. It's not that easy. <laughs> now, you can develop mental strategies and a treatment strategy like you have mentioned. But I mean, a lot of people, they, they think it's just like, oh, you're just sad and depressed and like, go do something. It's like, it's, it's a little bit more complex of an issue than that. It's absolutely. And it, and, and it doesn't, you can't fix it in one day. You, you've got to figure out what's wrong. It's, it's, a, it's, everyone has a different type of chemical imbalance, you know, or it's, it's just that you just don't put a shot in there and it, and it fixes it. And I believe ADHD is going to get worse for our generation as it moving forward, because we're dealing with a very video oriented their tablets they're on there they're doing four things at once and and it's just tough it's it's just it's just tough to try to get everything moving like that so i mean you see you see what's going on absolutely well i'm glad that you're passionate about this but let's move on to more optimistic and fun topics right so um you wanted to talk about how prime rates are affected by private money rates which was an interesting concept because I would have thought it would have been in the reverse. So let's get into that a little bit. Sure. Um, and, I, and I learned this from some of my early mentors and such. Most people don't use their own money on private lending. They get credit lines. Mm-hmm. This last two years, we've been just using our own money. But now, you know, we've been so successful that we need to keep on keep on going from there. So I've actually been negotiating with a, a great boutique bank here in town and you know it's on there they have a great reputation i'm excited i'm hoping we can get everything done with them and we're going to start working with credit lines um and as we're working with credit lines credit lines are developed by the prime rate and, and the prime rate is the rate that the bank is given by the fed uh which is right now 6.25 about a year and a half ago guys it was two it was two points Two, mm-hmm. two points. I remember. Um, the market was moving yeah. a lot faster then. Something seems to be changing yeah. now. <laughs> well, my feeling is this, is our economy had never adjusted for inflation or was slowly adjusting for inflation over the last 10 years and not really adjusting for it. And we were keeping our hamburger prices at the same price, but we were paying more for the meat. Uh, you know, milk had stayed at the same price. To me, I always look at milk as a, a, a denominator of, of inflation, you know, to the price of it. If this was 20 years ago, we were paying probably like 75 cents for a gallon of milk, you know, not 20 years ago, but probably 30 years ago. And you see that moving and, and just move it from there. Um, but we weren't adjusting for those prices. We were just making money, making money, making money, but not, but not moving it from there. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit. And we had shortages on everything and everything started moving from that point. And when that hit, it's, it sort of caused everyone to, you know, mm, I can't be doing this just because I'm too lazy to change a menu price or, or to realize that, uh, you know, gas is here, you know, and such from there. We should have been adjusting as a country in a whole in reference to inflation and move everything little by little. So the reason that we're in, in a recession right now is because we waited too long. Um, mm-hmm. So, 10 years worth of inflation is being thrown on us in one day, uh, you know, and, and that's going to, that's going to hurt everybody. Um, I know so many industries right now that, you know, like, wow, we're not making as much money because people aren't spending it, but they don't, they're not spending because they don't have it, you know, now mm-hmm. let me get back to the prime rate and, and mention this. And, and I hope your listeners embrace this. Keep in mind, we have many, many, many contracts out there that got 2% arm rates or adjustable rate mortgages. Mm-hmm. Well, prime is going to move them to 7%. They're at 7.25 right now. That means they're going to be paying four times the amount of rent that they were paying before. Very similar to 2008. Guys, mm-hmm. the market is going to be so full of houses. I don't see it collapsing the prices of houses, 
I see it as a, a buying frenzy pretty quick. And it's going to be crazy. You're going to be able to pick up houses at very, very good prices and move them and, and, just, and just sell them from there. Then you're going to be able to sell to all these government programs that are going to be able to allow, and especially in the military, everything from there. And they're going to be able to qualify for these houses and just move it and just on there. That is the biggest thing I want to bring across from Prime. That's going to be a huge thing for the industry. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, well, let's talk about the market since we just kind of brought that up, right? So right now, I don't know how your market is, but we already talked pre-show, low inventory nationwide, essentially. Mm-hmm. Last time I checked MLS in Chicago, we're at one month supply. Um, three Oy. months ago, um, when rates were low, I would put a listing up as long as it was priced well, we'd have multiple offers when, within three to seven days. We'd sell at or above list price, and we'd be ready to go. Mortgage rates go up. Now, inventory still one month. The rates are 6%, but the buyers aren't taking it anymore. Um, so I could tell you there's been a stark decline. Prices are already going down in my market. We feel like we're in a low inventory, low demand market. So what are your thoughts on that? I think it's different to everyone there. And I agree with you on pretty much everything, everything you're saying, except it's, it's, I don't think it's a low demand market. I think there's still a high demand market because there's still a lot of the big demand that we had over the last couple of years was coming from investors, uh, investors that were, that had houses that they were selling for 500,000, but they're going to markets where they can buy houses for 250,000. So they're, they're just, you know, they were snapping them up as investments, especially with the, advent of Airbnb, people are picking up things left and right and, and from there. To give you a synopsis of, of what's going on in, in my area, I live in El Paso, Texas. We're right on the corner of the Southwest. Uh, we, are, we used to be a little town, but over the last 30 years, we are huge now. We are mm-hmm. just huge. It's become a metroplex now. We're, not just to say that too, but I'm right next door. I literally are on the border of Juarez, Mexico. Which is over a million people. It's it's about the size of New York. It's 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 huge, 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 huge. It takes me an hour and a half if I have to do some consulting in a tequila down there just to drive down there. So yeah, I'm gonna pause that, you here because yeah, I'm so, familiar. I'm familiar with the trip. So my my wife is from Mexico. Yeah. Um, so she actually came here. You know, seen papelas, we'll say. So we had to go back to Juarez, <laughs> right? Um, so we went back to Juarez. We flew. We flew in. I don't know. Does El Paso have an airport? We might have flew into El Paso. Yes, yes, we should. Yeah, so we flew into El Paso. We had to go to Juarez. We did all the consulate stuff there, and then we got to walk across the border back. It was a fun trip. So I'm familiar with both Juarez and and El Paso, actually. I spent, uh, I think, almost 10 days in Juarez and probably three or four days in El Paso, too. It was a fun trip. It's, it's, uh, yeah, and El Paso's just grown so much. Um, So as we were looking at everything that was moving out there, Traditionally, El Paso has an inventory of approximately 3,000 houses to sell every month. Mm-hmm. We only have 270. We have a backlist on building of homes of two years. I mean, it, it, there's just not enough demand out there. There are a lot of good housing programs for the military and discounts and lower income that allow people to buy houses as well, too, and, and move it. But we just don't have the inventory. And as I had mentioned before we started, this is the worst time in the world to become a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. This is the worst time. Yeah, this is, everyone thinks turnover. it's, yeah, yeah. This is, and, and then in all honesty, there's not very, there's there's a handful of really good real estate agents and then there's the rest. Um, well, yeah, that's yeah, absolutely I, proven. That's proven statistically, yeah. right? So so yeah, um, uh, 90% of realtors do not have their license in three years. So, I mean, the ones that make it, the 10%, 90% of them, make like 40, 50 grand a year. So you have to be yeah, the top, yeah. you have to be the top 10% of the top 10% to actually make a real living in real estate. So, I mean, everybody thinks it's a wonderful, amazing job, but you know, you have to really become elite at it to actually make the, the money that people think. Yeah. But the thing is to become elite means work to make money mm-hmm. means stress to make money means working a lot of hours. That means, you know, it, I, um, you know, it's one of the first things I, I I tell you. If a real estate agent is presenting you a wholesale deal, 
it's not a wholesale deal anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 already off the market at that point. And, but don't get me wrong, real estate agents. I'm saying use the opportunity of what you know and become wholesalers. Get these deals out there. Get them moving. Make some money. You're going to make more money and not share it with the brokerage by by doing it the wholesale manner and stuff from there. Yeah. But there's so many rules and so many regulations. I, I get upset because a lot of people think that the real estate agent is just sipping champagne all day in an air-conditioned office. If you're a good one, you're out in the car all day and you're, and you're hustling and, home, and you're, you're moving. You're just, emails. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're on there. Um, just, uh, I, I mean, <laughs> I was so tired today, but, you know, I'm still answering the phone. You know, I'm still answering the phone at 11 o'clock at night. And I, and I, you know, um, and I usually say this, if I'm answering, you know, if I'm answering late at night and stuff, I go, this better be a dead body or a really good deal. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. So, um, you know, and I just do it. But that's that's my job. That's my job to, you know, to, to fix these deals and to get everything going from there. So right now is not a good time to put a real estate agent, but it's a great time to get into real estate. It's a great time. As I said before with Prime, we're going to be able to help all these new flippers pick up houses at reasonable rates. And you're and 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 I agree with you. The only thing I disagree with you is, in my market, they started. We started getting houses for sale, and it would get like, and I'm not exaggerating, twenty or thirty offers on a house. Oh yeah, um, I remember. And it would just get it on there. <laughs> so then I have, so then I have these sellers, um, coming up to you know coming that are just gouging the prices, but no, with the rise in prime prices have come down. Uh, well, they can't gouge the prices. But we did see an increase in prices from the pandemic to now. And that's where you have to find that median number from there. So I lend on, on an LTV, loan to value of 70%. And guys, for you, for your new, your new um, uh, listeners, ARV, as you said before, is after repair value. So mm-hmm. I, one of the things I do as, as an appraiser, you know, I appraise and I appraise for my own company. So it's not an official appraisal. Uh, I figure out what the ARV is, and then I, you know, and then I give seventy percent of the value of that is what we're going to lend you at, at that point. To develop that ARV, you need to figure out. Right now, I have three price structures I'm looking at: one twenty, one forty, one seventy uh, per square foot. And I really only look at the building. I'm not a big fan of of the outside square footage at all mm-hmm. on there, depending unless it's a ranch or something along those lines. And those are the type of things that you need to look at. But here's the deal: is if you're dealing dealing with different types of Metroplexes, ironically, the, uh, my sister city, who we do a lot of work in, is probably 30% more expensive per square foot, and it's 40 miles away. Okay. I just did a commercial deal. Uh, I had just done a commercial deal in Tampa, Tampa Bay, and it took me forever to try to figure out that cumulative number or comps, comparative analysis, mm-hmm. that on some uh, on some uh, some property down there. It's a commercial property. And... Uh, you know, I finally figured it out, and then I, I went. I think two weeks later, I went to go do a deal in Amarillo, Texas, and they were half of what Tampa Bay was, but then they were double of what El Paso was in commercial. So I mean, it was just you know consistently moving and, and moving to go across from there. So you potential real estate agents, then you know doing it, you know, then you got to remember you're paying a lot of fees. You got to pay a fee for this, a fee, you know, MLS fee, blah blah blah. Voila, and then you're paying to the brokerage, you're, you're doing it from there. And there's no, uh, I, I laugh because I can put something on uh, on Facebook and say, I need an agent. And I literally will get 300, 400 people, yeah, you know, calling me and stuff. Well, I mean, I say you know? they, but I'm <laughs> one of them. Um, I mean, it's funny. Yeah, it um, is. I think, you know, I think a smart real estate agent, the best of the best, um, they know how to wholesale. They know how to do creative financing. They know how to uh, fix and flip. They know how to do it all. Right. That's that's a good real estate agent. Um, but unfortunately, the vast majority of them are retail agents only. No. no, Yeah. They're they're the guys that want something put on their lap. You know, they want yeah. their aunts to send, you know, buy their house. But see, here's the side that I, I, I mean, Tim, I, I love that you're a real estate agent, but you have the opportunity of having your wife or something represent you as the wholesaler. That way you're not breaking any kind of regulations or stuff. And, and oh, well, I'm they're in, doing I'm it. in Illinois. I actually have to be licensed to wholesale. So it works out for me. Do you really? Yeah. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. So Texas you, you is a could, little bit of a, a free for all. Yeah, you could do one in Illinois without a license. But after that, it's considered a brokerage activity. So. Oh wow! Well, this might be interesting to ask for your listeners. So, what do you? How do you get certified to do wholesale then? 
It's the same real estate licensing as um, a realtor. Really? Wow, that is interesting. Yeah, so in that Illinois, yeah, any any real wholesalers, they're all licensed. Um, but most of them are focused on wholesaling, which, you know, if I was to start my career over, like if I was going to choose a lead source, even as a realtor, I would be working motivated sellers. And I would just be giving them options, putting them in a box mm -hmm. and, and, mm -hmm. and giving them the mm -hmm. best solution to exactly. their problem because it takes the sales process away. I don't have to sell them anything. I just give them what they want. And we do the same thing. Too. We'll lend money on homes, you know, to help out families and such. And, but the thing is, it's a business too. Um, and, and you can, you can get screwed left and right if you don't protect yourself and everything has to be on paper. But we do, uh, we help people with, with, you know, if they need a quick 25,000 here, which I hate doing small loans because, mm -hmm. uh, mortgage guys, same amount of time that you're spending on a $25,000 loan is the same amount of time you're spending on a, on a million dollar loan. So, and you're making two major yeah, differences in, in, in commission at that point. Not but, even just commissions but, too. You got two very different clients, right? Like the guy that wants a million dollar yeah. loan, he's already successful. And it, he's just like, he just signs the check, right? Where the other guy, the $25,000 loan, I guarantee that guy's higher maintenance. You know what? I got a great story to that. Um, I just recently was brought up because we look at, we try to look at niche, niche arenas um, and trailer parks are niche arenas for us. They're great. Mm -hmm. I think they're great markets and the right thing. Well, uh, our accountant had a trailer that she she was just given in probate, and, and so she sold it for seventy five thousand, and she wanted to sell it to this you know this group uh, to this this couple that's coming out of Mexico, and they don't have uh, they don't have a, a official residency to get you know to get a loan from a bank and everything from there, and and uh, you know they don't have the credit for it, so they came to us for the loan, and I said sure you know here's here's the rate. They said oh that rate's too expensive. I said mm -hmm. ma'am. I mean, you're already getting the trailer at a discount. You're doing it from here. I mean, so so what do you expect? I, I mean, mm -hmm. and I think we gave them a 12% rate because it was during the, the the rise in prime and so on from there. And and still, they were going to be looking at like at a $500 payment. You know, yeah. granted, they still have to put insurance and and uh, and property taxes in there as well, too. So, but absolutely. sometimes people, don't, you're, you're absolutely right. It's the smaller ones that are the bigger headaches. Than, hmm. than all around and i understand it's their it's you know it's their pile of money and just do it from there so i mean it's but at, at some point you also have to trust your people of course Tr trust your people all around so also as you mentioned you want to make an impact too so i mean if it's a win-win you could still do it but um i'm going to take a pivot here because i know you're a social media guy um if you had three tips for somebody in the real estate world to get started on social media what would they be <laughs> wow um i'm just laughing because uh i got into a big fight with my mom um and i love you mom um because and, and i don't know am i allowed to cuss on here or not you can or, say whatever you want it's not yep. bad i can't stand bullshitters uh -huh. i can't stand bullshitters i just can't stand people that that pretend that, that waste people's time. I can't stand people that waste my time. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons I have a huge, and I think this is how you guys found me. I have a huge Facebook following and a huge social media following is because I take pictures of my funding checks. I don't show the, the routing numbers. I don't show anything. I said, look, I'm a real guy. I'm yeah. a real guy putting in a million dollar check, a $20,000 commission, putting it on here. This is what I do. I would love to teach you how to do that. I would love to lend money to you guys. Mm -hmm. I would love to do it from there. That has been one of the, I think the forefronts of me doing it. And so now uh, I, I get a kick out of it because yeah, when I speak about something, when it comes to real estate at least, because uh, that's the other thing too, separate your private Facebook from your business Facebook. Mm -hmm. Try not to do pages because you get too uh, on there um, because yeah. it becomes more of a, uh, an advertising ploy for Facebook and such from there too. But I, I get tons of people, you know, reaching out to me uh, for, for business that are bringing me deals and everything because I was able to validate something. There's a gentleman uh, in my in my arena right now that's that's doing these videos um, and I've never seen him close a big deal. Uh, and but he, but he made a good comment. Show me your HUDs. Prove to me that you're putting the deals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Show me. Guys, that, that's the final clearing document that you look at that validates all your expenses and your and your fees. 
And that's, that's what I happened. So I've had a lot of people approach me, uh, you know, um, through the years and I'd say, well, show me some HUDs. Oh, well, I can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. I said, just redact it. Well, I can't do that. You know, I just, mm-hmm. then you really don't have any money to spend, you know, mm-hmm. or you don't have any money to lend. So that's my first thing on social media. Um, try to keep it in there, keep it fun and informative. Like, uh, like here, I'm going to, this is a great, this is a great, um, opportunity for me to do something that, that's going to show, Hey, Tim, say hi. I'm on the, uh, <laughs> on the podcast. Chasers. I know you've got a huge following on there. So I'm going to want to put this on social media. We're talking about social media right now. Freedom Chasers is you know, a leading podcast in real estate and so blessed and honored to be on here with you. So when I mean, you do stuff like that, you put it in there, you make sure that, that, that you're, you're known from there. You need to consistently network. Don't just sit at home. Just don't sit at home. Don't be afraid to get an assistant. Um, I'll give you a great example. Uh, the uh, I was using. And don't ever, don't ever hire family or friends to be your assistant. It'll never. <laughs> that I should have known from, from beforehand. <laughs> but I, I, ju- I just hired someone. We started off with someone new, but we, we were, we've been looking for a new bank for a while. And but I don't have the time to call every bank. Mm-hmm. So if you can outsource your stuff for the minimal stuff, so that you can do the other things out there. Mm-hmm. Um, focus you know, on like money making got, activities, right? You yeah, money making activities. Mm-hmm. And on there, so I'm going to give you another great example. And this is going to go about, I know it's just like social media, but we also built a, a cleaning company in 2020 because the real estate market crashed. Nothing was moving because of the pandemic. No one was moving it. No one's going to houses. No one's flipping houses. No one's building houses. They were afraid to be out there. So that killed me. I, we almost went bankrupt and stuff. So, um, I'm a business consultant, so I actually got called out in New York to to uh, do consulting on a uh, on COVID disinfection. And then I realized, hey, I opened that business, but then I realized, I, dear friend that I love to death, that I hope works with us this year, Joey, formerly of uh, Ojos Locos, which is like a Mexican Hooters, is a very large chain, mm-hmm. okay. said, you know what we really need? We what we really need is power washing, you know. And guys, uh, you know, I'm blessed to have a good income. You know, my son and I were out there cleaning toilets in 2020. You know, we were cleaning toilets and then we learned how to clean sidewalks. And then, you know, we did everything from there. However, as 2021 came, I had one phone on one ear for the cleaning company and had one phone the other day for the for the lending company. This one's for a service that's one hundred and sixty seven thousand dollars. And this is for a five hundred thousand dollar loan. I need to be focusing here. And and so that's that's moving from that. So um, I've got a good friend Cassidy's going to be taking over the company. Yeah, I was about to say to to put that in simpler terms, basically you could only do so many things, right? So you want to yes, be focused yes. not only on you want to focus your time on money making activities, but you also want to make sure that you're not doing too many things so that you're distracting yourself from the true money maker. If I'm following you correctly, exactly, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly, and that comes back to our ADD, and it gets mm-hmm. stressful, and it, it gets stressful to go in from there. So I have a good friend of mine named Cassidy that took over the company, and and she's doing good with it, and. So she's taking over that. It allows me to focus on the on the finance side of it. We just bought other, and here's the other thing, guys. Real estate's great, uh, but it, real estate's a market that goes up and down. Don't be afraid to embrace new business ventures, but get into business ventures that you know. Uh, we just bought a, a cannabis farm, but I've been approached by people trying to sell cannabis farms for the last five years. The reason I went with this one, well, he's already borrowed a million dollars from me. So I know I already trust him and he's already been in business for three years and the initial investment was really, really small. And when I took, took out the numbers, this was a great investment for us. Then we just bought a restaurant bar. Hey, the first thing that my partner says, you don't have the time to run it. I don't have the time to run it. I don't want to do it, but we picked it up for pennies on the dollar. So I said, look, I'll bring in an operations team. And I brought in, I brought in an operations team, but I didn't just bring in the operations team bringing an operations team i made them put money in too so we're all we're all vested together so that's going to allow us as real estate goes up and down i'm a democrat but i'm a i'm, I'm pretty upset with biden not putting his foot down Me too. Uh, with the economy mm-hmm. yeah i'm yeah uh, um I'm, I'm really upset we should already be in in this in this short sale foreclosure situation we should all in there and you know you can't you know joe i think you're a good guy but you can't make everyone happy at some point you have to say no to someone you know, yep. you have to you have to be mean on there. Um, so, with that with that being said, 
again, going back to social media, people will go back to me asking me about Prime. People ask me about loans. People ask me about this. You know, it's different things. So you become a resource. And as you become the resource, people just, you know, just keep on reaching out to you. Don't forget the physical resource, though, too. Network consistently. Mm-hmm. consistently be places where there's contractors. I hate to say it, but the service industry got me into this business because I would run into so many contractors and the contractors would need loans and the distance on there. Make sure you always have your card on, mm-hmm. always have your card on you and, and be able to push that out and, and get, get that moving and such from there. Um, have that card push you back to, to social media. Um, I'll give you something else. Yesterday, we're, we're going to be working with a, a, an artist down here named uh, Rivers Ventura. And uh, he was showing me that they were about to put a billboard for his new song up down here. And and I was explaining to him <laughs> my typical know-it-all attitude. Uh, <laughs> and, and he, you know, I said, you know, wrong, 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 wrong. And he mm-hmm. had so much stuff on this on this billboard. I said, no one's going to pay attention to it. All you need is a picture of yourself and your Instagram moniker. And that's it. That's yep. it. That's it from there. Then you develop the message from your IG to whatever you want to do from there. Absolutely. But right now, guys, Facebook is really good for real estate. Uh, Instagram is more television. It's more kid stuff mm-hmm. uh, getting on from there. And then uh, uh, Snapchat is, you know, uh, it's just, hey, this is where I'm at and what I'm doing type of stuff. That's perfect. I mean, that was a, a succinct and great answer to the question I asked. Um, so now we're going to throw you in, on the loop again. Um, gear, or Memo, right? Memo, yes, Acosta. Um, if you had a billion dollars in 100 lifetimes of cash flow, what would you do with your life? I want to help people. I want to mm-hmm. help people. I think if we talk about depression, mm-hmm. I would love to, to I would love to do two things. Create depression centers to help people, mm-hmm. but also to create a worldwide campaign for people not to be embarrassed to be depressed and so that they can seek the help. Yeah, you, you know what I mean? Um, I was, I, I can't believe it's, you know, uh, I, I, I mentioned it, but for, since I was 30, I'm 53. So it's 23 years ago. I was embarrassed as heck to take Prozac. I would hide the pills when I was traveling and no one on there. Mm-hmm. I didn't want anyone to see me taking it and everything. No, we should have been embracing. We should have been embracing that, you know, the mental health attitude. Um, I've known three people this year and it bothers me because I knew them. And I often, you know, and I, and I let people know if you ever need to talk about anything when it comes to depression, feel, you know, let me know that have killed themselves, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I hate to say it, I've gone to that point too, uh, where just all of a sudden that chemical imbalance hits you and you're just extremely, extremely depressed. And you're like, well, what are you depressed about, Memo? You know, uh, you've got a great career, your son's healthy, you know, you know, just just everything's everything's moving from there. And then what are you depressed about? Well, it's the chemical imbalance, mm-hmm. you know, it's just on there. And then it can also affect you in a different way where it amplifies stuff. And um, and I'm so glad you mentioned that, Tim, because it's that's something that I would abso- absolutely do. Um, I thought Bill Gates was crazy for giving away all his money, but I see where he's coming from, though. I yeah, right. I mean, if you have that much, you don't need it, right? So, I mean, I I love asking that question in particular because we're talking with entrepreneurs. Nobody nobody ever says I'm going to sit on the beach drinking margaritas, right? Everybody's <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to go help people doing this. I'm going to help people doing that. There's always some sort of purpose. Right. And, and there's always some sort of work. Right. Because um, the type of people that we are, we we don't want to be sitting around idly. Um, it just doesn't work for us. Um, so yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'd go nuts. Yeah. So, Memo, um, this has been absolutely tremendous. If the um, audience wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to get in touch? You know, you can find me um, on Sawazo Money on Facebook. Uh, you can also find me via uh, via my email, which is uh, giacosta, G-A-C-O-S-T-A, at suazo, S-U-A-Z-O-L-L-C.com. Um, that's my company from there. Uh, we use Suazo Money as the face for auto investments, so we do it from there. Um, you, but, you know, feel free to email me, and I can direct you from there. And great again, too, trying to show people, look, we want to redirect you to the right place. It's, got, it's always hard to find stuff on on social media on there mm-hmm. um 
you know, and, and that's where I, I share a lot of my stuff from there. Uh, I'm about to put out the, again, trying to help people. I'm about to release the foreclosure report that I pay for. Mm-hmm. And so that other people can see the foreclosure report. And I put it up on, I put it up on, uh, on Facebook and, you know, and then I can send it to them from there and stuff. So, uh, yeah, whatever I can do, to, whatever I can do to help you guys, if you guys have questions on stuff, if your audience wants to reach out to me, uh, and they have a question on a deal, um, and you want me to analyze it, I, you know, in most cases, you can give me the breakdowns on your, on your county appraisal district numbers and such from there. I can tell you what it's going to be worth, you know, and get you out of there. Don't be afraid to walk away from deals, but here, no. well, here's a great example. I've got a good friend, g- good friend of mine too, but don't be afraid to jump into a deal. Mm-hmm. I told him I had a great property for him and he just doesn't get it. And I'm telling him, well, you need to make an offer. He said, well, I need to go see it in person and do this. And I said, put your foot in the door. You know, you don't, you don't have to put the earnest right now. Just put in an offer right now. You going to just do it. I said, you know what? Whatever. I guarantee you in 10 minutes, I will sell this house. Mm-hmm. I sold it in eight. There you in go. Eight because the market was so bad. So barren. And that guy made a quick 80 grand off the deal. You know, it's just, just on there. So don't be afraid to jump in there, but do your homework and check everything as well too. Make sure everything is in its right place. Absolutely fantastic, man. Um, Memo Acosta, I can't thank you enough for giving you a glimpse into your life and into your business, um, getting vulnerable a little bit. We were talking failures and depression, and you were open and honest. And, and, and you know, there's 10 to 20% of people suffer from depression. So, I mean, I guarantee yeah. a lot of people in the audience are going to relate to that. So I appreciate you sharing. I also appreciate the successes, too, because we got a lot of stuff going on with you. We got restaurants. We got marijuana farms we got real estate we got (laughs) private loans you said you were cleaning toilets too um a man of many many talents um so thank you so much um to those of you out there chasing freedom freedom is acquired one action at a time so commit to taking one action and do so within the next seven days tell you somebody you know that can hold you accountable before you know it you too will be living a life of freedom so thank you for tuning into this one and we'll catch you on the next one 